<clears throat> so, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the evening talk. Nice to have some folk from the Hermitage with us. <laughs> louder. Louder. One of my big learning curves in this thing, in this seat. Um, thank you. Um, hmm. So um, this evening, um, I'd like to um, open up for reflection, um, share some thoughts on practicing with thought. Um, anybody had any thoughts today? And it's really been coming up in the in interviews and the groups that you know with with people, quite a lot of people as well. You know, there's, there's a lot of it happening in different ways at different times, and um, so I thought we could um, just give some space to uh, reflecting a bit together. What um, what would it what would it be like to really have a may uh, say wise relationship with thought or like a happy friendship with thought? You know what what would it be like if if somehow in 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 all its sort of myriad complexity and its you know, it's wonderful, beautiful, you know, um, beneficial aspects. And it's really kind of potentially quite destructive and um, uh, mm, troubling aspect. And um, one of the things that it seems to me in... In, in reflecting on this, is that we, if we can turn from that sense of seeing the processes of our mind and heart, really, you know, I guess the whole, the whole caboodle, the whole catastrophe. If if we can turn from our our, our attitude of of. Um, you know, seeing everything as, or see, seeing so much of it as a problem or an enemy, or that if we if we can actually look at the whole thing differently, can we can we see it as um, I don't know, as a kind of a um, like something to explore, um, or as as a, a potential. Um, Kind of place of of real wisdom or insight or um, yeah, and in a sense, maybe in approaching any any aspect of our experience, there's a sense that when whenever we turn towards something, it can become quite mysterious, like we might think we we sort of know what thought is. 
But then it's like once you start really trying to engage with that and, and look directly or work with it, it's like it's what on earth is this, you know? And and it's like it can it can kind of open up um, our sense of ourself and the world um, when actually we are. Um, Uh, wondering, wondering, what is this? Um, sometimes so troubling, so problematic, so productive of suffering, it seems, and then sometimes such a great um, support or um, yeah, help in our in our life to to ourselves and others. And think about the yeah the the benefits of being able to think clearly and all that goes with that. So just to to really get a sense of that, I mean, that um, as, we, as we come to meditation, and particularly, you know, in this retreat, and we, you know, trying to bring our minds back to it at the breath or listening to sounds, and one of the things we discover is that... Um, <laughs> There's a lot of thinking that can be going on, you know, like instead. Or, and it can feel like um, it's become kind of more of a problem. But really, I think what's happening is we're just seeing more. So this is like one of the things we have to bear, I guess, with any kind of meditation practice where we're, we're inclining towards... Um, sort of attending, you know, settling our attention somewhere. And inevitably, what it's almost like there's this sort of opposite response and then the mind, we see it more, it wants to think more. And so we, we actually, we get to see, we get to see more. Whereas if you like, in our life, we sort of float, we're sort of more going along with the thinking. And so we're not so aware of it. And the way that it has this great power in, in our life, um, that... The, the Buddha was one of the things he would, you know, again and again in so many different ways he would be saying, you know, look at this. There's so much power that the way we think and what we think about is, is really governing our life, is governing our speech and our action, it's governing our, our view, our, our, and it's... it's um, so to have the opportunity on retreat, however uncomfortable and confusing it can seem, to actually kind of explore this and, and see how can we work with this, how can we understand it more, which is probably really, how can we understand so that, so that it can become an ally more than a, an enemy, so that we can understand more the, 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 the way, you know, the way to... Uh, to relate skillfully to thinking, to the thinking mind, to to come into relationship with that. I think a lot of the things I want to talk about are really about coming into relationship with that faculty. Um, so I wanted to read you some of the things that, that the Buddha said. 
And of course, in our practice, there's so many ways in which thought is so important and helpful. And obviously, this is one of the ways that we can engage with some of the teachings of the Buddha and others, and we can reflect on them and ponder upon them. Isn't that? That's one of the ways, actually, we can practice is to, to really to really think about and I think sometimes you know we can we can take a quote that really touches us or that we love and we can really think about that carry it around with us learn it by heart and let those thoughts the thought of the Buddha in this case kind of um, support us in in exploring in this case particularly in relationship to thought so I wanted to so just as I read these kind of let them let them kind of land and and see um, see what see what see see what that kind of does. So the first one, you're probably familiar with these. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. With our thoughts, we make the world. Hmm. We could spend all night or all week on that one. <laughs> but that's perhaps we, you know, on retreat, again, we can, we can, and you know, in our life, but to see how, begin to see how we take bare experience, you know, perception, sights, sounds, and so on, and we create a world, and how quickly that can happen. You know, amazing, speed of it, um, that we, we create, typically recreate, kind of world this is how things are this is how I am this is how other people are and to become begin to become aware of that this is tremendously liberating and um, so then that and then the Buddha also goes on to talk about how well another another phrase from the Dhammapada which you may may well know which is really the saying the same thing in a different way what we frequently think about and ponder upon, this will become the inclination of our mind. Um, so, I mean, there's something very, in a way, common sense about that. But to see kind of the... the hmm, To, to see how in a moment the way we think about the, the way we think can change our experience you know if you maybe and if you've had that experience today I was talking with somebody about you know, seeing body pain as a friend a friend in need and like just oh yeah that's actually the way we think about something it can really change the the experience, and probably you know many examples of that, but that we 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 overlook that p- 
the power of that, it, sometimes the immediacy of that, um, how, how much it can change. You know, I remember <clears throat> several years ago now walk, walking along with a friend along down the road here, very upset, um, and talking and, you know, wailing and moaning and this, this kind of thing. And, and suddenly catching sight of my, of my very good friend, the dog Polly, and just the seeing Polly and, oh, hello, you know, and my lovely friend, and how immediately my world changed. It really, and then it did kind of go back again to the miserable part, but that, that it has that, it's like our world can just, what is going on there? And can we, you know, can we learn to really... Um, begin to, I guess, see and understand that happening more and be less caught by it, less caught by it. We're not, we can, I don't, well, maybe we can get rid of it, I don't know. Maybe some points it can, can, you know, it can really die down and get quiet and maybe disappear for a while, but, you know, if we're living in the world and, you know, it'll come back, we need, we need it. But like, um... Mark Epstein said, um, American teacher, we do not have to cure every neurosis. We just have to learn not to be caught by them. <laughs> I like the word just, I think. It's, it's just, that's all we've got to do, is to learn not to be caught by them. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of power in, in thought. And yet... So another one of my teachers really points out is like, actually, the, the, the thought only has the power that we give it. But the thing is that we're, we're often, that's a habit. Yeah? So we habitually giving certain kinds of thoughts, a lot of authority and power as if they're truth or fact. And so that's how they will appear. So it can, again, take maybe time and repetition to be able to begin to see that those very, you know, some of those really core sort of believed thoughts that feel like they're really, you know, true, um, it it takes a lot of seeing and repeated to, to seeing of them as just thoughts. Jana, maybe you know that the kind of thoughts I'm talking about, the, the ones where, that are very, that can make you very upset or come up with, you know, like I'm, things a lot about me and, and, and the way I am or the way the world is that um, bring a lot of suffering with them. Um, and to be able to begin to realize that the there's a very real sort of set of feelings you know that maybe come from very real hurt but that actually that the the thought itself is not true like for example say i am a failure pretty you know i don't know if that's but this sort of judgment thought that can come up, say, when we've, you know, fluffed it again or something like that. And there's a that kind of, say, judgment or self-view comes up and it can feel like it just 
it has all this power and authority and sort of truth and it feels like it's really the truth about something. And to be able to um, begin to not to, to not to not see to not see that thought in that way, that um, relieves us of, of a lot of suffering. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot there's there's a lot in here about um, a respect for the power of thought and knowing we can we can actually learn to see and know more clearly what's happening and also learn how how we can sort of foster more of the helpful ones and let go of the unhelpful ones. And that's the other part that I guess the Buddha really emphasised, you know. There's the one lovely sutta where he, he talks about before his enlightenment how he'd sit there and he'd he he went through a process of sorting them out and putting right the ones that came up that were helpful or wholesome and he could yeah that's that one and then the other oh no that one's not so helpful and he kind of sorted them into I imagine these two big piles of thoughts obviously it wasn't like that <laughs> and to to see that there was a possibility of cultivating or encouraging one kind and letting go or abandoning the other and so as we sit as we go through our life it's that like we can we can sort of learn to ask you know is it useful because I don't know about you, but I think, you know, how much of the thinking that we do is, is not really useful. <laughs> it's just going over something for the 15th time or like planning. Like I have it a lot with, you know, if, if you say preparing a talk or something and, and I might do I might come up with, you know, version seven or something and when do you stop? <laughs> and that there's a pattern there of 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 thinking, of planning and replanning and rehearsing and so on. And maybe your patterns are, are different. But that we can sort of again I think it takes time it takes however long it takes to patience to come into relationship with this and to be very compassionate towards towards these patterns that there are a sort of emotional undercurrents that really kind of giving a lot of energy and sort of pushing a lot of this thought so I wanted to draw on three categories of thought that can be around in, in retreat and in life that Martine has, I think she um, organised them. <laughs> She's good at organising things. Um, intense thinking uh, is the first one. Habitual thinking is the second one. And what she calls light thinking. So I'd like to just touch on each of these and and think about what what is it that helps us to come into, to, to practice in a way this wise relating to, to thought. And that that's not always the same, you know, like maybe they're different, sort of different approaches, different tools. It's not always the same approach that's needed. And, and there's lots more, but I just want to, I just want to kind of um, mention a few and invite you to think about your own, say, version of intense thinking. You know, maybe you have certain hotspots in your life, particular p- 
people or situations where you know there is tendencies there to be strongly triggered or you know to be for that intense thinking to happen um certain kinds of things that are triggering and and and, and practicing to see kind of what's what's helpful and a story i i think i some of you may have, I don't know, it's a story I tell about something that happened in Helsinki Airport because I'm lucky enough to go to Finland sometimes to teach. And it's just an example, again, for you to sort of see your own examples with this, that um, I was walking in, um, a man came quite close to me and sort of bumped me a bit with his briefcase. And I just went, <laughs> it was just this rage kind of, just erupted in me out of, I was a bit surprised. And fortunately, I was really mindful. So the, again, this, this, this creative awareness or mindfulness that we're, we're cultivating can, can support us in those moments when we don't know when it's going to come up always, do we? And there I was like, oh, oh, okay. I was on the way to teach a retreat, so I was like, okay, we're practice with this, okay. And this just... The, the, the feeling and the thoughts, how dare he? And I can't remember exactly what the thoughts were, but it was so... Uh, and, and I had this really strong impulse to kick him. Like, you know, because thought isn't always words, is it? it's the image. And I had this, like, and how good that would feel. And how, I don't know, just really... And it happens so quickly. It happens so quickly. But there can be that seeing in that and that steadiness. And so it was just, okay, I didn't kick him, fortunately. And it all, you know, and he went by and then I calmed down a bit and, and you know, it has a happy ending because then later on I saw him in another part of the airport and I was able to say, may you be well, send him some, you know, send him some loving kindness. And and it was, I think, such a striking, you know, I could think of other examples, maybe you can, where you have actually been able to be steady and there's the thought and the feeling and actually, you, you're steady enough, you can see it. And that's what we're saying that we, we, it's when we can see that whole, you know, whatever, the tsunami, or whatever have you want and, to, and not be completely caught in it. It still happens. We don't have to stop it happening necessarily. But there's something that's being seen there, something that's being understood, and a sort of strength that's being, being built to, to, to deal with these things. I think in the, in the in a, in a meditation retreat, you can it's very strong feelings can you know arise, can't they? You don't. It's it's so you have this opportunity to say, oh, what's helpful here? You know, that steadiness, feeling into the body, contact with the floor. You know, restraint. I mean, sometimes like you know, you just don't kick the person. You, you 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 give yourself that container, or you don't kick yourself, or whatever it is, and you can feel the emotive energy and almost allow whatever that is. Because I think with intense thinking, that there's always a what I sometimes call an emotional undercarriage. You know, kind of like the iceberg principle, maybe. You know, the the thoughts are the bit that's more on the surface, but it's like underneath there's this sort of felt mass of something and it's actually being able to feel into that and 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 kind of open to that soften kind of widen our awareness to go in and listen allow listen to the heart to kind of oh feel that in the body 
that can actually um, help us so much with the thinking that that we we go in a way to the the mind state or the what's happening um, in our body in our heart that's kind of and then we can by being with that the whole thing can start to calm down or we listen you know I think sometimes it's like the think that sort of thought storm it, it can be really helpful to really listen with re- almost respectfully and what's the need is there some need or some hurt in there that needs to be actually acknowledged because on some rational level we might know this is nonsense that man with the briefcase you know for goodness sake you know but there is something there something under that to be acknowledged about maybe feeling invisible you know, I'm here, I'm here. And this, do you see, do you see what I mean? And, and that you can recognize that, that there's almost some wisdom in there, maybe some need to give a little more attention to kind of allowing our presence in the world. You know, do you see that there, there, there can also be wisdom in it? You can almost sort of, what is it you're trying to tell me that I'm not hearing? That, that I actually could be helpful, could be a teaching, rather than just, you know, madness. So feeling the body, fee- feeling the coming more to the emotional, motive level, listening and acknowledging maybe there's something to be you know, heard and recognised. Um, and then one other thing with, I think it works really for any level of thinking. And I've, 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 I'll just briefly tell you what, what it is. But again, if you... Hmm... Those sorts of believed thoughts that you might call underlying views that are often either there's one or more of them that are kind of arise in a, you know, sort of intense thinking or sort of upset, that there's some thought or maybe a clump of them that about ourself or about the world or another that we grasp at, that we kind of solidify around and often that's that's very kind of habitual like it has maybe a very long history but that we can actually actually inquire what what am I believing here I think this is such a helpful question I don't know just for you to, to explore what am I believing right now about you know what I need to be okay or what what is that? And sometimes it's like I saw this image of pulling up a weed, and you expose the roots of it, and then it, it it kind of it can't grow anymore. And every time we do that, it's kind of oh, that's what it is, and it and it loses some of its power that it has when it's sort of unconscious, when it's not seen. Avija, this word for, for ignorance, which is understood to in you know, Buddhist teachings to be. Really the root of our suffering is that we're not seeing. There's something we're not seeing, not seeing, kind of. Um, and these root views, these underlying underlying views, and that's, I think, when we can practice with the intense times, there can be something so um, liberating when we can identify these things. And we can challenge it, and we can, we can say, is it true? And of course some part of us is going, yes! <laughs> he is awful, or you know, this is the way the world is. And, but, and you, what is, is it really true? You know, you, 
that I don't know if any of you know the work of Byron Katie. This is where this comes from, if you want to pick up on it. Um, what's it like to live with this belief? Like, for example, you know, um, the one I gave earlier of feeling maybe like a failure or not good enough, which is such a common one. That, and one of those very, very core sort of... And to be able to kind of bring to light some, something like that, which is so um, feels so hidden and shameful and kind of, you know, but to actually bring it to light. So it's just, that's what it is. And a lot of us have it. And what is it? What is that? And that as we begin to bring it into the light and begin to actually look at it and oh, yeah, using these questions, it's... It's quite eerie because it, 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 it's like it can't do its thing anymore. And again, you know, this just perhaps does not once and then we, we're cured, but again and again we might have to do it repeatedly. What's it like to live with this belief? So, what, you know, if we believe that we're wrong and bad, what's to really look at the effects of that, to, to sort of name that? And to see that it's related to this belief, it's not actually an innate part of who we are. It's actually, there's a process going on here um, with, with, with this thought when we don't see that we're grasping onto it, which is my, another way I think, you know, Martin talks about grasping. I think in the case of thought, it can be that we, it's, it's believing it. It's, it's making it real and true and solid. And then we can contemplate what would life be like without this belief? Like, What would it be like if I didn't believe I'm, I'm wrong or I'm always wrong? What would that be like? And, and, and what that does to me is it begins to open up. Oh, that would feel, yeah, that would feel good actually. A sense of possibility around uh, we can feel with our mind into what it would be like not to be so kind of... Um, entrapped in or with that and who would I be if I no longer lived with this belief if it was a thing of the past oh and then here I think is that can be the the, the real skillful use of a sense of imagination and poss- to, to, to help us imagine possibility and that we can pick up on the sense, ooh, you know, we can feel into that. And that can be encouraging and, and, and actually begin to open up the, in a way, the empty nature of thought. That it's not so entrapping as we thought. It's strange, kind of, that, it, that, that actually investigating it in this way, again, to, to me, you, you can find out for yourselves. But that it, it starts to reveal more the, the, the insubstantial empty nature of, of thinking when, when we're not kind of pushing it away or trying not to look at it or when we're just kind of gripped by it. <coughs> so m- many other ways. I, I've, I've recently ex- ex- been experimenting a little bit with, with drawing and maybe many many of you do of of being able to actually sort of put into form maybe you know even movement or drawing thoughts that of any kind where you're again translating it into a slightly different language which again 
it's coming into a more creative relationship with something, maybe, so that so that we can look at it a bit differently, can relate to it a bit differently, and dialogue and and many 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 ways, um, and yeah, um, seeing how when we're not. Um, caught up in intense thinking, we can actually also kind of then remember what was I thinking, and and actually notice how when that mind state is different, we just it just doesn't mean the same thing, and that's also sort of somehow relativizing it. So habitual, just say a little bit about habitual patterns of thinking, being able to know our tendencies and patterns like is your you know daydreaming very typical one very common one um planning um rehearsing um what are some other ones that anybody have some favorite sort of mental that the ones that you just your habits Obsessing. obsessing right fix it on yeah whatever and going over and over and over something yeah. Worrying. Worrying, yeah, thank you. Yeah, one of my top favourites. So. <laughs> Worrying, yeah. And being able to actually name it, label it. Again, it's we're, bring, we're coming into relationship to it rather than just feeling like it's something we're in. To be able to, to name and label somehow it brings a sense of almost objectivity. It makes it somehow less personal or less, yeah. Um, and that, that we can then have much more chance of letting go of it, you know, coming back to the object and bringing some humour and kindness with that, you know, I think is so helpful, isn't it? That you, you can kind of, oh, there it goes again, you know. And that it, these things don't necessarily die off all at once. It takes it takes this kind of repetition, and the, this you know this coming back to an anchor. The way that over time it's it's freeing up our relationship to really all of our experience because it it we begin to see how there's nothing that need to be that needs to be completely kind of possessing of us. So knowing our um, our tendencies are our favourite sort of thought patterns. And, um, yeah, being able to uh, unhook from the planning or the worrying, being able to just again and again practice doing that. So lastly, we have this area of more light thinking. When, say, the meditation, maybe at times, maybe we're, you know, it, it things get, Things quieten down, the mind gets quieter, and there's this maybe moments, you know, maybe sometimes it gets longer where you you taste what it's like when the mind is quieter, when when maybe thoughts come and go a little bit, or um, it's more wispy or yeah, light, and. One of the things there, I, I think, is about, again, acquiring the taste for the, the quieter mind. So I think we're so in the habit of thinking that 
it, it can start filling up the space. So it's almost like it's, it's, as a friend of mine recently said, it's okay not to think. That it's almost like we have to reassure ourselves and acquire a taste for that quieter, that quieter mind. Um, that can feel quite sort of unfamiliar and and quite sort of unnerving in some ways, but also to taste the uh, the sort of quieter pleasure in that. We can sort of acquire a taste for that. And also what's more possible maybe when, when things are quieter is we can look directly at thought or sort of say, you know, it's like I was saying, what is this? One technique that I, I do sometimes that I learned from Ajahn Sumedho, so you, you can imagine, you actually in your mind, if you close your eyes, you can, if there's a thought that's bothering you, or really you can do it with any, any thought, sort of write it visually in your mind. So, you know, whatever it is, um, I am blue. Right? Could be anything that you, or anything that, that's troubling you or just any anything and actually see look at that say is that's a thought what is that or and i can it can just another way i'm just suggesting of of giving you a, a way of kind of exploring and of course even that it's not really you begin to see how much construction how much energy how much fabrication is going into doing that the natural thought is so much more like, isn't it? It's so, it's actually so fast. It's so, so we begin to feel maybe the insubstantiality, the kind of ephemeral flickering kind of nature of, of thought as just a sort of little ripples or little sparks coming up off the sea, the sea of the mind. And depending on the mind state, you know, little. And if it's very calm, there's just little flickers. Or if it's very boiling with angry, there's all these irritating thoughts sort of sparking up out of there. You, 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 you start to see it more as a process rather than the content, the story, the me and the you. It's like this massive energy. It's something that, if you like, the energy of our psychophysical organism, it's something that happens and if you, I, I've, I think seeing in that, it, that's another way of maybe seeing it, which is depersonalizing, it, 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 taking the, the personal story out or letting that be more in the background and seeing the more immediate sense of what, what's, what, you know, what, what is this miasma of the mind and these, and, and then, and then maybe we can, we can begin to understand again, how much we are creating uh, a, this kind of paper tigers or these strange sort of mental constructions that we then take for who we are. Um, so we can see that through these different ways that we can practice here on retreat, particularly when or in our life any any time that every time we um, are build when we when we when we can when we can be aware of thought when we can relate to it when we can bring interest to when we you know that we are kind of that we're 
we're empowering ourselves to be able to to make really good use of thought in our life so that it can actually su- support us and um, be a, a source of um, yeah of support and, and pleasure pleasure and practical practical usefulness um, more than it is a source of suffering so yeah I guess that's most of what I wanted to say um, I want to read you a, a couple of other teachings um, one by a Tibetan teacher called Kayense Rinpoche who I find this very beautiful I, I hope you will he says remember that a thought is only a fleeting conjunction of myriad factors it does not exist by itself Recognize its empty nature and it will immediately lose its power to elicit the next thought and the chain of delusion will be broken. In this moment, in this moment, if we can, it's just this empty... The chain of delusion is broken. We're doing something, we're constructing this strange thought thing marching through time. We're here and now, here and now in this, you know, moment of perception, what's happening? It's just this. It's trying to communicate something really hard to communicate, <laughs> and I know it's it's something I, I I feel like that wisdom, that understanding, that it's all happening now. It's it's the the liberation, the freedom that we long for is. It is always right here. And wisely relating to thought and to everything that's happening here and now, that's our doorway. It's always our doorway. And that somehow this through this practice that we're all engaged in of being present with what's happening now, that the chain of delusion the chains of suffering can be broken. And I'd like to close by sharing with you one of my favourite teachings from the Buddha, um, which is the advice to Bahia. Bahia was a bark wearer. He wore bark, tree bark. I won't say any more about him, but it's a wonderful sutta if you're interested in looking it up. Bahia is B-A-H-I I Y A, and just briefly, he's he he goes to the Buddha, and the Buddha's on his arms round, and the Buddha, and he's please give me a teaching. He's come a long way, you know, and he's really really highly motivated, long term practitioner. I really like Bahi, you can tell. <laughs> and he's and the Buddha says, "No, go away. You know, I'm on my arms round." 
So why ask him again? Please, sir. We don't know what's around the next corner. Please. But it's snow, you know. I'm hungry. And Bahia, for a third time, it's often in the teachings, please, please, just give me a short teaching now and then I'll let you go and get your breakfast. So the Buddha says, all right then. And this is what he says to Bahia. Whenever you see a form, let there just be the seeing. Whenever you hear a sound, let there just be hearing. Whenever you smell an odor, let there just be smelling. When you taste a flavor, let there just be tasting. When you experience a physical sensation, let there just be sensing. And when a thought arises, let it just be a natural phenomenon arising in the mind. When it is like this, there will be no self. There will be no moving about here and there. And no stopping anywhere. This is the end of dukkha. This is the end of suffering. And in the story, it said that Bahia got it. And he was instantly awakened. Great joy. And very shortly afterwards, he died. He was killed by a cow. So, um, may each, may we all have and find and savor that um, sense of possibility in each moment for awakening for uh, understanding through this uh, willingness to really be present with our experience, our seeing, our hearing, our thinking, and to see to see it arising, to see its empty nature, and to feel the joy and the freedom of that for the benefit of all beings. And so, I think I'll stop there. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.